0: We're in John chapter 4, and we've met the woman at the well. One of the famous stories of the gospel, of the Bible itself. And this is a remarkable discourse between a pretty much sinful woman, not even Jewish, she was a Samaritan, and the Holy Son of God. And so she's learned that this man is prophetic, but he's more than a prophet. That this man is offering her living water. Where she will never thirst again. This man is speaking words of life that are not only sending fire to her own soul, but will kindle a fire within her own community. This is the story of the woman at the well. And our lesson is called True Worship, based on John chapter 4, verses 20 to 30. We're going to read a couple of verses from this portion now, and then do an overview, and then go deeper. So, in John 4, let me read from verse 22 to 24. It says, Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So what do we learn from all this? We learn that it is possible to worship in ignorance, and that is something we want to avoid like the plague. What's the point of worshiping someone that you don't even know? It doesn't get you very far. Jesus claims that he, or, and his people, the royal we, he speaks in the first person plural, they know who they're worshiping, for salvation is of the Jews. Well, it has to be, because Jesus was from the tribe of Judah and the house of David. But he goes on to say that worship is not going to be determined by geography, but by the heart. And that the time has already come that those who are true worshippers, worshipping the true God, don't do so in time and space. They don't do so in location. They do so in spirit and in truth because it's those type of true worshipers that God the Father is seeking. And then it goes on to say that God is a spirit, and they that worship him correctly and in a life-giving manner must worship him in spirit and in truth. Of course, we want to look at these verses in more depth, and we'll do so down the track. But as we consider this lesson, based on chapter 4, verses 20 to 30 of John's Gospel, true worship, first of all, we're going to learn that there were mountains that were devoted to worship, whether it's Mount Gerizim for the Samaritans or Mount Moriah for the Jewish people, namely the Temple Mount. But as we've just seen, true worship is not determined by where, but by what. We're going to learn more about what it means to worship God in spirit and in truth, as well as what it also means, that God is a spirit. Because after all, we're going to worship God. We need to worship him in a manner that he prescribes, not the way we prescribe. We're going to learn also that the woman, this Samaritan woman who was living a sinful life, she still had some religious instruction and she understood that Messiah was coming and that Messiah is going to reveal all things. One of the most remarkable parts of John's gospel is the fact that Jesus is going to reveal himself in his true identity to this Samaritan woman, not to the religious elite in Jerusalem, not to the people who gathered around the lake, not even to his own Jewish people and not even to other men. He's going to reveal himself to a foreigner, a stranger, a Samaritan, and a woman and one that had been living in sin, but we believe her sinful days would soon be behind her as she meets the perfect man. Let us read now the entire portion for today's lesson from John chapter 4 verses 20 to 30. The lesson is called True Worship. And the reference, once again, is John chapter 4, verses 20 to 30. Let's listen carefully to God's Word. This is the woman speaking. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messias cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And upon this came his disciples, and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, what seekest thou her? Why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the man, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. Our reference is John chapter 4, verses 20 to 30, and our lesson is called True worship. Praise God for that. Well, let's begin at the beginning here. There is an interesting dialogue between the sinful Samaritan woman and the sinless son of God. And she talks about first of all our fathers worshiped in this mountain. Now, let me give you some background here. She speaks about her fathers referring to the Samaritans and their eldership. Remember, the Samaritans probably began after the year 722 BC because of the Assyrian conquest of the northern kingdom of Israel, deporting the ten tribes out of the country into other parts of the Assyrian Empire, transplanting heathen people into the region known as Samaria. They eventually adopted some aspects of Judaism, particularly the first five books of Moses, the Torah or Pentateuch, but other things they did not accept. So they were, in a sense, partially Jewish in religious observance. There may have been some intermarriage with remnants in the land, but basically they were considered foreigners and hostile foreigners at that. Just read the book of Nehemiah and some of the trouble he had from his neighboring Samaritans. Way anyway, she speaks about worshiping in this mountain, the mountain she's referring to is Mount Gerizim, also known in the book of Joshua as the Mountain of Blessing. It was just to the south of the biblical city of Shechem or Shechem, and to the north of Shechem was Mount Ebal. And Ebal was considered the mountain of cursing. Remember, six tribes faced Gerizim and blessed, and six tribes faced Ebal. And cursed, again in the book of Joshua. So the woman is saying, Our fathers say we should be worshiping on Mount Gerizim. Even to this day, I understand the Samaritans celebrate Passover on this mountain. But then she also makes reference to the Jewish position that worship should happen in Jerusalem, specifically at Mount Moriah. And so Mount Moriah is the location of the Temple Mount. And the Temple Mount was built by Herod as a platform, trapezoid platform. Amazing engineering feat, so that the top of a mountain now becomes the biggest public space, allegedly, in the ancient world. So the Jews said, we worship in Jerusalem, you guys worship in Gerizim. Now, the Lord did command in the Torah that his people would appear before him three times in a year, at a place that he appointed, and that place was Jerusalem. So, basically, the idea is, you can only worship God properly in a location of his choosing. Jesus is going to change the rules. In John 4, 21, true worship, not bound by geography. Jesus makes a stunning announcement. True worship of the Father is not dictated by location whether it be Mount Gerizim of the Samaritans or even Jerusalem of the Jews. No, it's going to be different. Verse 22 of John 4, Jesus tells this woman a stark home truth. She, a Samaritan, worships someone that she does not know, at least not yet. Speaking in the first person plural, Jesus says we know what we worship. Salvation is from the Jews. Now, this phrase, salvation from the Jews, is remarkable. It requires far more coverage than time permits. But here's a few points. Remember that Jewish people are the ones who received the oracles of God, including the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. They received the law. They received the prophetic writings. They received the other writings. They were witnesses to the presence of God and the glory of God, the cloud by day, and the fire by night. And they were undergirded by a whole raft of holy people, patriarchs, prophets, priests, and a handful of kings. Many of the kings were wicked, but a few were righteous. Most importantly, the Jewish people gave us the Bible, and even our Savior, who is from the tribe of Judah, and the house of David. Perhaps these are some of the reasons that we can say salvation is of the Jews. John 4.23, worship in spirit and in truth. The hour is both future, and yet it is gloriously present tense. True worshipers will worship, not in a place, but in spirit and truth. In spirit represents wholehearted spirit-to-spirit connectedness with the living God, not some kind of rote religious routine. Now, to worship God in truth represents the whole gospel, including the Messiahship of Jesus and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all of the Lord's redeemed people, whether they be Jew or Gentile. It is the kind of worship that God wants, and indeed, no other kind of worship is acceptable. The good news is, of course, God has enlarged the amount of people who can worship him. He's also worshipped the domain that they can worship, no longer having to make the arduous journey to Jerusalem, but they could worship God anywhere, anytime, because God is a spirit And he can be worshipped in spirit and truth on any continent, any land, anywhere. Praise God for that. Then we've got verse 24 of John 4. God is a spirit. Another home truth has just been revealed. God is not material. He is spirit. And we learn a lot about God through scripture. And this is probably one of the most, how should I say, simple and hard-hitting facts. He is a spirit. And therefore, worship that is acceptable and approved by Him is done in spirit and in truth. Remember, it's not routines that help please God or vain repetitions that please God. It's following His clear instructions in spirit and in truth, bearing in mind that to do this the way God wants, we have to actually partner with Him. We have to be born again by the Holy Spirit filled by the Holy Spirit, walking in the Holy Spirit. And we need to be guided by the truth, and God's word is truth. According to John 17, verse 17, the coming Messiah. John chapter 4, verse 25. The woman says that Messiah, or Christ, is coming, and he will explain all things to them. This is the woman at the well. So she obviously knew a few pointers. And indeed, Messiah is coming. In fact, he already has come. In fact, he is closer to the woman than she even realizes. Messiah will partner with the Holy Spirit to teach and explain all things. We also learn in Isaiah 11, verses 2 and 3, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. So basically, Messiah's coming, he's going to explain everything. And then in the next verse, John 4:26, Jesus makes a remarkable confession. He reveals his true identity, possibly for the first time ever. He does not reveal himself as Messiah to the religious hierarchy of his day, nor to the adoring multitudes along the Lake of Galilee, nor to the temporal powers like Herod the Tetrarch or his brother Philip, nor does he make this revelation to his own Jewish people. It is to this sinful Samaritan woman that he confesses that he is the long-awaited Messiah. What a superlative example of the last being first and the first being last. What amazing grace. This woman, who had five husbands, now had a partner, not even married, she gets the privilege of meeting Messiah and having a one-on-one. It is a Phenomenal, And, of course, Messiah is lighting a fire of revival in her heart that's going to spread like an Australian bushfire. Well, in verse 27, the disciples return and are amazed that Jesus is speaking to a woman. But they did not, they dare not, say, what are you looking for or why are you talking to her? Now, in verse 28, to the city, the woman is so excited that she has met the long-awaited Messiah, that she literally leaves her water pot at Jacob's well. Now, it may not have been costly, or it may have been, but it probably was heavy, even without the water, and the news was too urgent to be held back by this vessel. So she returns into the city of Sychar, where is her home is located, and she's going to tell everyone, anywhere, who cares to listen, of the great discovery she has made. John four twenty nine. Come and see. The woman at the well becomes a motivated evangelist. She tells everyone, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Can such prescience mean that this man is the Messiah, the Christ, son of David, son of God? And... Finally, last verse, verse 30, a ready audience. The people of Sychar's curiosity was stirred to fever pitch, so they left the city and came to see Christ firsthand at Jacob's well. Well, our lesson is called true worship, and our lesson for life is this. God-pleasing, God-honoring, fruit-bearing worship is in spirit and in truth. Worship is Done out of religiosity and wrote his vanities.